Can y'all hear me? Okay. Think so. Welcome, welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. Let me invite Anthony up here. All right, Jason, what's up, man? Welcome to the room. Yo. All right. Welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. And we do this every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is where we talk about everything JavaScript and or web development related. If you are a beginner or if you're an advanced user, developer, creator, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from everybody. So feel free to raise your hand, come on up. We'll bring you up to the stage and you can ask questions. You can state facts, opinions, whatever. We want to hear from you. In fact, it just increases the value for everybody. Even uh, the people up here participating and speaking on stage and also therefore for the audience too. So, Come on up whenever you feel like it. We'll bring you on up. Today, we're going to be talking about render a little bit. Render ATL, if y'all haven't heard. Last year, I got to participate and attend. Actually, more, yeah, attend, which was awesome. Uh, one of the best conferences I've been to, for sure. It's up there in the top. It was really good. They just know how to throw a conference. <laughs> and obviously, a lot of people think the same thing because this year, it's even bigger. Last year, I think they had, I think they were expecting under 1,000. I think they had just over 1,000 to show. This year, I believe they're making their way up to 2,000 or at 2,000 already. So <laughs> if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, go to Render ATL dot com and check it out for yourself you'll see the speaker lineup and you'll be like wow yeah need to get in on that not just that it's just a great time to network with a bunch of awesome people in the tech community lots of people here that are on this with us usually are going to be there i'm sure With that being said, thank y'all so much for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and let's make some intros and then we'll carry on with the conversation, talk a little bit about the newsletter that we have, what was sent out on that, talk about some of those topics because that's what we love to do. By the way, if you're not on our newsletter yet, it's very easy to sign up. All you got to do is go to javascriptjam.com, put in your name and your email, and we'll send you that newsletter. Don't miss out on the latest in tech and web development and JavaScript world. We're in it every day, folks. Just to give that information to y'all. Anthony writes an amazing newsletter. And he puts lots of time and effort into it to give you the best value he can. So you won't want to miss out. Check it out. All right, intros. My name is Scott Steinlogi, and I am the technical community manager at Edgeo and one of the co-hosts here at JavaScript Jam. 
Anthony or Ishan, would you like to? Hello, uh, I am Anthony Campola, I'm a developer advocate at Edgeo. And I am VP for Edgeo Applications Platform. And I just got my uh, interval workout in. I was running around the house looking for my AirPods. So thank you, Scott. <laughs> I was like, where are they? I couldn't find them. They fell up <laughs> on the desk and I've been I'm a little out of breath. That's why. So, nice. But yes, thank you for the, the intro. Maybe we should just tell people what's coming up next week that relates to Render and leading up to the conference itself a little bit before we jump into the newsletter, which again, hats off to Anthony. I thought he does a great job. I used to do them and I'm so much happier Anthony's doing them now. Uh, they're so much better. There's a lot of good stuff in there this week. But before we do that, let's maybe talk a little bit about Render and what we're doing with them starting next week. Awesome. Yep. So next week, we're going to have an awesome guest on. It's going to be a great time. And the week following is Render itself, right? We will be there. Is that the week following? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be the the 31st. We'll be speaking with James Q. Quick for sure. And probably some other people. We're also talking to Tejas right now to get him scheduled. And we'll be recording a podcast with Chris Coyer as well. So we already got some content planned. It'll be even more coming at you, most likely. Yeah. And we'll be live at the conference. I actually won't. Right. These guys will be podcasting live from the conference. So if you can't make it, first of all, try to make it to, to what's a great conference as Scott was talking about. But if you can't, definitely tune in here. We're going to have interviews with the speakers in the weeks leading up to the conference. And then at the conference, we'll have an episode. And I think we might get a podcast or two out, out of the podcast itself from some guests. Absolutely. Yeah. Out of being there. Yep. Which we love doing those in-person recordings, actually. It's just so much fun. You know, it, it really makes a difference in, with the environment and just being there face-to-face with someone rather than just digitally. So it's a great time when those recordings happen because you can really hear it in the recording. There's some of the best some of the best recordings we do are, are in person. So yeah, if you'll be there and you want to hang out with us up and uh, come say hi, and I will both be there and you can join in on the fun as well. Uh like Ishan said, we are going live while we're there. We That's just like this thing we've been doing now at every event we go to is we try to go live and we have successfully done that and are going to continue doing that. Be sure to join us on that live because we're going to have some of the speakers from the event on the live with us to really dig into some cool behind the scenes stuff and answering questions and just kind of hanging out and chat with everybody just like you're at the event there and not have to wait in line to talk to them. You can just kind of come up on stage and chat it up. So (laughs) be sure to join us. That would be on the 31st. Yeah, 31st. We'll be doing that. So, And James Q. Quick will be here with us. That'll be one of the persons, and we will have uh, several others. So looking forward to it. Awesome. And I'll just call out, if you're looking at the conference website, right now when you go to it, it has the speakers. But if you want to see what is the actual schedule, it's not in the dropdown. At least I didn't see it in the top dropdown. So you have to scroll down and there's a button that says show speaker topics. And then you can see what the schedule is for what people are talking about at Render. Oh, yeah. Uh, And there's... I'll link it here. Yeah, that's a great idea. There's, there's, as Scott was saying, there's a lot of great speakers. Evan Yu, creator of S, as well as Veet. Also a former guest on JavaScript Jam, one of our early podcast guests will be a speaker. Lots of great luminaries like that are speaking. 
I'm actually going through the latest version of it. James Hugh Kirk, who we talked about, who we're going to be talking with. Chris Coyer, who we'll also be talking with, will also be there, or at least we're talking to. So there's a lot of great people that are talking. I was wondering when, yep. you know, Anthony, you look through the list of topics and talks, forget who the speakers are themselves. Is there anything that jumped out at you in terms of overall themes or anything you're like, that's the talk I'm really interested in looking at? Anybody else who's looking at it right now, feel free to jump in and come up to the stage. Yeah, I need to actually find it last time I tried to to do this. So search, do a control F and search for topics. And there's a button that says, check out our speaker topics. There we go. Okay, yeah, I'm cool. trying to put it in. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Web Development 2023, what the data says. Yeah, Lori Voss has given similar talks like that in the past. I always enjoy those. Yeah, that's a really good call out. His talks on these are like, just for the audience to contextualize, like Laurie does a lot of data analysis and at the Jamstack conference, he looks at what frameworks are the most popular, what are the most popular tools, definitely somebody to listen to. He also, I think, contributed to the Web Almanac, if I remember correctly, mm, yeah. uh, for the Jamstack section. I have a little beef with how they did it this year. But regardless, he has a... What was your criticism of it? I would say that to summarize, I felt like the technical criteria they were using to survey the web for the size of the Jamstack ecosystem only looked basic. Basically, they were finding fast sites and saying they're Jamstack. Like the challenge you have with Jamstack, depending on how you define it, is you can't tell from the outside whether a site was Jamstack or not. You can tell whether it's like, yeah, yeah, but if say they're using Hugo or they're using Eleven D with no JavaScript, there's no like server response header. There's nothing that would necessarily indicate. Maybe some of these tools sometimes Astro embed some basic framework JavaScript. But if you're on like Hugo or Eleven D where there's literally no bleed in, you have no idea if they're it was created with Spring MVC on Java or it was created with Eleven D. And so it becomes really hard to survey the market and say. And the way the Web Almanac works is they just basically crawl the web and look for data points. So I want to acknowledge it's a real challenge to say these sites are Jamstack. In previous years, they would be like, they talk about Gatsby versus React, and it was very framework-centric. But that leaves out Eleventy. It leaves out Hugo. It leaves out some of the granddaddies of the Jamstack era. And so what they did is they came up with another set of criteria or heuristics to see whether a site was Jamstack or not. But that inherently has is a heuristic, so it means it's not completely accurate. And so I don't have, to be fair, a solve for this problem personally, but I also feel like it's a little inaccurate. It's not accurate enough that I would be comfortable saying, I think that's an actual map of the Jamstack market. I think there might be other ways to approximate it, but it's still a difficult problem. So Interesting. Yeah, yeah I feel like that's one of those things until you have a better solution. It's just, you, you do the best you can, and hopefully someone else comes up with something better and actually implements it, in which case you would then have your own sweet data points <laughs> I, to speak that, on. That sounds like ChatGPT's excuse. You just come <laughs> I, I, you were, I think I interrupted you. What were the other talks that, that jump out at you? There's some AI stuff that I'll probably be curious about. I guess I'll want AI in React by Gantt. I'll be curious to see what that's like. It doesn't give a lot of information in the description of the talk. So are you generating a React app 
with AI, or are you writing a React app that queries like an AI API? So either of those I would find interesting. Yeah, I'm, I actually, that was the thing I control left on was how many talks have AI in them? Like four or five. Well, yeah, so there, there's Rise of the Robot, How to Thrive in the World of AI. And the description sounds like it's, do these AI tools make you worried about your future as a web developer? Fear not. He's going to discuss ways you can leverage these tools. And this goes back to a theme that seems to emerge every week, if not every other week. And we had a an episode of, couple weeks ago where we talked very in depth on this topic about does AI threaten the future as a web developer? So that's the first AI talk. The next one is the AI in React, which sounds really interesting. Let's see what the next one is after that. Is it only those two? No, Generative AI, a builder's guide is going to be exploring generative AI. This one looks really interesting and foundational as opposed to just how you can use it. He's going to explore key concepts like what word embeddings are, what word to vec is, and large language models and NLP. So it looks like it'll give people a lot of context to feel like they know what the landscape looks like and where maybe next steps are. Actually, it says right here, talk equips attendees with a solid foundation for delving deeper into generative AI's potential across diverse industries. That looks like a good one. So I'm counting three. That last one, I think, sounds extremely interesting. I don't know if she's talking about it. So Charlie Gerard is a speaker. She used to give, three or four years ago, a bunch of talks if you Google for them, and you can probably find them on YouTube, which are like AI for front-end developers. And she was using things like TensorFlow.js in the browser, where you could code and program and configure a TensorFlow.js network in the browser. Looks like she's talking about protecting apps from malicious packages which is still also an important topic, but I would Google for her other talks if you're interested in AI. And I'll use this opportunity to mention that we just recently rolled out an AI, another AI-powered feature on our platform, which lets people use natural language to actually configure the Edge CDN. But it's definitely something of the moment. What else for the render schedule jumped out at you, Anthony, if anything? Evan, you had one that was like something about crossing the barrier between frameworks, I think is what it was. That looked pretty interesting. Oh, I see that. Yeah, I had not noticed that. Thinking across the framework barrier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds super interesting to me, because especially as someone who uses a bunch of different frameworks, there's always context switching and trying to figure out how to explain them to people. It's... uh. It's an interesting exercise. Yeah, that's that's definitely one to tune into. Look, this is the guy who built one of the most popular frameworks. I don't want to say single-handedly, because I know there's a lot of contributors, but he didn't have the backing of any large organization. Angular backed by Google, React backed by, by Meta slash Facebook. And somebody who definitely looks at these design trade-offs between the frameworks and then also built Vite, which is extremely cross-platform and popular as well. And to get inside the mind of somebody who thinks very deeply about framework trade-offs, it'd be great to hear those thoughts. I That's definitely one that, you're right, that's a good call-out. Yes, yeah, after that, maybe the Code Sandbox one could be interesting. The technical story and learnings of Code Sandbox, like building a browser editor is just a very, I imagine, large, interesting problem space. And Code Sandbox, I feel like, is not 
necessarily as nice as some of the other ones these days, but it has been around for required a ton of knowledge about it. That makes sense. I'm trying to figure out... Oh, actually, I missed another AI talk. There's one, how can we test AI systems, which is a really important topic. I don't know if folks tuned in. There was a congressional hearing, I think, earlier this week, specifically about AI and regulation, and that's very relevant to that and reliability. But I'm scrolling the schedule to try and get a sense of broad trend. What does this reflect in the market? So I see things that I know that are growing. So Edge, there's a talk, the bleeding edge of web development, and they'll talk about Edge. And so Edge Compute is definitely on on people's mind along with AI. I see Vanilla.js making an appearance, which a few years ago, I don't think you saw as much of. I see Web3 making an appearance, but not as much as I think used to be there. I'm curious, as somebody who's worked in that industry, if me that's me extrapolating too much, or is it just getting overshadowed, Anthony? What do you think? Uh, I think there's a couple things. It's the There's definitely less general mainstream interest in Web3 right now, both because of kind of down cycle in the market over the last year and AI kind of taking its place in the zeitgeist. I think that it's crypto and Web3 stuff works on like long-term time scales or to, to a certain extent, like it has ups and downs. Like it had a big peak in 2017, had another big peak in 2021. So extrapolating from that, we may expect them to be hitting the conference circuit again in 2025. But I think that if you're someone who's interested in this stuff, you're kind of, you're not as concerned about that. And so like when it is in a bear market, it's kind of a bar. You don't see it as much. What's going to kind of come back around. I thought the one talk it looks like they do have has an interesting title, the winners and victims of crypto and web three. So we'll see. I think that the industry itself is in a weird place because when you look at things like FTX and the whole collapse there and SVF, possibly going to jail over it all. So people look at that and say, oh, this proves that Web3 was like all a scam. And people who are in Web3 and crypto know this proves that people weren't actually listening to us. We were telling people why these systems are important and everyone bought into this like wunderkind who just built another financial system that scanned a bunch of people out of their money through opaque finance laws in the Bahamas. And that has nothing to do with crypto. <laughs> yeah, it's a much larger conversation than we have time for. Yeah. Here. It's like, these. this is the thing we were trying to prevent against. The I, There was a, I don't know, expert or pundit who's, Web3 might have just been misnamed. It's just further off, so it might really be Web4. And it just, the time wasn't quite right, but it might come back in a different form. I'm noticing Colby also has a, an AI-themed talk as well. The other theme that jumps out, though, I'll say here, and you don't, always see a lot of this and more of it in conferences, but it really makes sense because render their byline is, let me go back to the homepage, make sure I don't mess it up, but it's a tech conference where talent feels welcomed. There's a lot here about growing your career, hiring, getting a job, things like that, that aren't always covered. Things about like how you manage teams. So there's a lot of also career stuff as well and leadership. That's as true. well as so there's a whole category on leadership and entrepreneurship, a whole category on but product I, and project management. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say it also, to be fair, like it takes money to run these conferences. And so those topics bring in sponsors for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So those are some of the things that jumped out at me for this year's conference. 
But excited. Yeah. And then this is, I think they have a big event at the end of it, or at least they did last year. I didn't make it to last year's either, but there's a concert at the end. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know if it's their concert. I think it might just be put on somewhere else and they get tickets to it because they had something similar last year. I left before I couldn't partake in that because I had a really early flight or something. But they had a concert that was happening somewhere and they got tickets for everybody that did get a render ticket, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So for those of you who have the time to spare, that sounds like something I'm personally more of what they did at Remix, like the game night. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but they do, yeah. I, I will say this too, though, they do have a ton of events every night. There's different things that, and they'll get continued sponsorship for these things. For example, one of the nights last year, AWS sponsored a dinner kind of thing, or yeah, just all kinds of things, honestly. There's usually no lack of. In fact, like a lot of these events are so, events after events are so popular that the place will fill up. And if you don't get there soon, before starting, then you won't be able to get in the door. And so there's more than one event happening at a time. So obviously there's ones that are hotter than others, and this is kind of how it goes, but you can always partake in something where other people are at that you can still network with, continue to build relationships, and have a good time. Yeah. And I see they've got like themes for each day, Jersey Day, Cosplay Day, yeah. Tie-Dye Day. Yeah, they had a little bit of something like a yeah. theme last year. They didn't have a whole cosplay thing. And that'll be interesting. Like, honestly, I, I don't see myself doing it right now, but I'm sure there will be plenty of people doing the cosplay thing. I just, yeah, don't have anything to be doing that with. <laughs> if, I, if you can lend me an Iron Man suit, I'll wear it. <laughs> but yeah, the Jersey Day actually takes off from their design team last year had created a jersey for a lot of the people like the people that worked there and the people that were I don't know what they called them but almost like advocates involved in it and you can actually purchase a jersey their jersey render ATL jersey it's pretty slick it's really cool uh, but they had them last year a few people had them but kind of I think kind of where it derived from but obviously you can wear any jersey you want so I was thinking we should get JavaScript jam jerseys maybe. oh that would be great <laughs> that would be awesome maybe for next year jersey yeah. I wear anyway if the, now yeah. the question is, if you could be any Marvel superhero, which one would you be? What Avenger? Which Avenger would <laughs> you whoever. be? Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. But maybe that's a topic for another day. We're right at the halfway point. Do you want to do the station break? And then we should switch over to what was sure. in the newsletter. Awesome. Yep. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us. I see a lot of people here that, that are always here. So thank you so much for joining us on this awesome Wednesday. As always, we love you all. Appreciate you guys' support and everything you do. Uh, for those of you who are joining us on the recording, thank you so much for you taking the time to listen to this recording. But I just want to say, whether you're a beginner or whether you're an advanced developer, it doesn't matter. We love to hear from everybody. So feel free to raise your hand, come on up, request to come up here and have a conversation with us. We'd love to hear from you. You know, it doesn't matter. State facts, opinions, ask questions. We'd love to hear it all. In fact, that actually increases the value that everybody is partaking in. So thank you. With that being said, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter because Anthony puts so much time and effort into that and we greatly appreciate it. But more than the main reason he puts so much time and effort into it is because we want it to be something that's valuable that you guys will enjoy reading and receiving in your inbox every Tuesday, right? The day before we go live on Wednesday. So 
if you want to know what's happening in the world of JavaScript and web development, be sure to go subscribe at javascriptjam.com. That's javascriptjam.com. Go subscribe. Don't miss out. All right. And you know what? If you haven't gotten your ticket for Render ATL yet, you could do that too. Renderatl.com. That way you can see us in person. We'll shake hands, high fives, hugs, whatever you want. Yeah. All right. Back to the show, huh? Thanks, Thank guys. you, Scott. Anthony, you know, it, I know what jumped out at me most of all, you can probably guess, but is there anything that you thought was the most interesting or newsworthy from this week's newsletter? Yeah, so there's kind of two main topics that are covered. There's the new view release, which has like a whole bunch of stuff that's probably more interesting for view specific developers, but it was a look like a pretty substantial release. And then Google I.O., which is Google's kind of yearly developer conference, had a whole bunch of announcements across a wide array of things. So a lot of that was related to web performance and core web vital stuff. So yeah, I'd be definitely, this is thing, this is your expertise way more than mine. So you're going to be able to explain this far better than I can, but there's an announcement about a change to the core web vitals. So for people who do know this stuff, they know there's the core web vitals, which is just a handful. And then there's like more web vitals beyond as a larger kind of set of all of them. And the core ones that are just a handful are always being tweaked. And one is being removed and another is being changed out for it next year. So first input delay is being replaced with interaction to next paint, I think is what it was. Yep. Yeah. yeah so you so, want to talk about yeah, what so, those are, why that's significant. And you're right. We should just talk about Google IO in general. I have not finished going through all the web talks yet myself personally, but this one definitely caught my attention as well, just because uh, we performance is so much a part of, what we do and what our clients trust our IDEO platform for. As you said, there's this core web vitals that Google measures anytime somebody uses the Chrome browser on mobile or desktop. They're basically, in, in certain cases, taking in a privacy-preserving way performance measurements of those websites that people browse. And then they use that to rank websites according to how fast they are for actual users and something that's sometimes called the Chrome User Experience Report, but most people know them as Web Vitals. And there's three key metrics that they've historically used. One is largest contentful paint. And actually, I shouldn't call these performance metrics. We colloquially call them performance metrics, but they're really user experience metrics. And I'll explain why in a second. But the first one is largest contentful paint, and that's how fast does it take for the largest piece of content on the page above the fold to appear when the page is first loading. So that one's a true performance metric, and it's one a lot of people focus on. The second one is first input delay, which is about when a page loads and you do your very first interaction, your very first tap, other than scrolling, how long does it take for the page to respond? It's actually not even how long does it take for the page to respond, it's how long does it take before the handler finishes running. And we'll get to why it's such a poor metric and why they replaced it. And then the last one is cumulative layout shift, which doesn't really measure performance. It measures how much does the page jank? How much does it move around on users without any notice? So if the page is moving elements around and you're not tapping it, that that's a layout shift. 
It's one of the crucial differences that tip people off when they're using, say, a hybrid app that's a mix of web content and native content. It's like when you load a page, things jump around and native applications don't do that. And there's no reason web pages need to do that. It's just they're built in a way that you can underspecify things and the browser has to guess. And so as Google wants the web to compete with mobile experiences or native experiences on a level field, reducing this CLS, cumulative layout shift, is really important. And these metrics are extremely important. For, say, the average e-commerce site, 50% of your traffic might come from Google search results. More so if you're like a blog or a news site. And if Google is ranking you above or below your competition, especially in really competitive search results where the quality of the content is probably equal, then performance is going to potentially be a tiebreaker. And so these can have huge impacts because the amount of traffic you get in Google search results is a power law. Moving from first to second can be a dramatic, maybe even doubling of the amount of traffic you get first to second to third. And it's also, it's not just growing your traffic, it's actually stealing it from your competitors. So you're actually helping yourself and hurting your competition. Because in all likelihood, the person you were competing with was uh, a competitor of yours. So they're going down, you're going up. There's only 10 links on the page. It's zero sum. So it's, that's the reason why it's so competitively important. So Google... There can only be one. There can only be one, yeah. I was, not, I was making a Highland, Highlander yeah, joke. Highlander joke. Uh, I remember Highlander. I never saw the movie, but I always saw the TV show. It was always on right after MacGyver for some reason on the channel I used to watch. But anyways, so Google had these three metrics they used. And they've told us in the past when they rolled these three out that they would change these metrics as the web evolved in the future. But they would give us plenty of warning to do it, that they were doing it. And so they announced that starting next year, so they're giving us a, basically 11 months, it'll be March of 2024, they will replace first input delay with this other metric called interaction to next paint. And I think, or how do I say this? First input delay I thought was a terrible metric if your job was to measure user experience. I think INP will be a better metric. What was terrible about uh, it? Let me explain it first. But I think people are so going to be... on that? Yeah, I'm, I think people are going to be surprised on how poorly they do on INP. So the problem with first input delay is it's got a lot of problems. But the biggest problem is it only measures the first interaction. So the very first time you click is all it looks at. And then after that, it's done. And there's a lot of variability in that data. So take, for example, a page that takes a long time to show any content for you to click on until all the JavaScript has loaded. Then the user isn't going to tap on the page till there's something to tap on. So you could actually give yourself plenty of time, like a loading screen that's just a spinner that tells the user to wait it would actually potentially get a better first input delay because from the user experience, the actual appearance of the UI, you can condition when the user clicks. Now, on the flip side, imagine an experience that aggressively shows the user as much as possible of the UI, but maybe the JavaScript handlers haven't loaded yet. And there's an open question, which is better. But in that situation, if they click on something and the JavaScript for that piece hasn't loaded yet, then... If they happen to click too early and the JavaScript for that 
widget they're looking for hasn't yet loaded, then you're going to have a long first input delay because it's suddenly waiting for all that JavaScript to respond. And it also doesn't measure how long it takes for you to update. It only measures how long it takes for the handler to run. And so there's a lot of ways that first input delay doesn't really capture what you're trying to go for, which is how responsive is the page to user input. It only looks at the very first input and then stops. It's very conditional by the vagaries of when somebody happens to make that first click. So in practice, what ended up happening is not that first input delay was a hard metric to optimize for. And I think their goal was to capture websites that had a lot of JavaScript that was running. It turned out in a lot of websites, even if you had a lot of JavaScript, it didn't penalize you that much. So I can tell you from our experience, most sites, they would struggle more with LCP and CLS than they would with FID. Broadly, if you looked at the statistics, FID was like, at least in e-commerce, retail, and some of the other verticals we play in, was typically one of the easier, the ones you all actually didn't have to worry as much about. So it was a sometimes highly variable and and sometimes generous metric. The other problem it has that IMP also doesn't solve is there's no good, I don't want to say there's no good, it's harder to measure in a lab setting. So what do I mean by that? So the measurement is based on actual users talking to your website. If you're a developer sitting down to optimize this metric, you have to simulate those clicks on your page and you don't know when users are actually clicking. So in the lab, you have to use heuristics to try and figure out, okay, when are users clicking? And you can use things like total blocking time and other things like the size of the JavaScript, but they may not be directly correlative to 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 your what your FID metric is. I've seen it not line up. Like famously, people get Lighthouse scores that are poor, but I've seen poor Lighthouse scores get equivalent Core Web Vital scores. And there's a lot of potential other reasons for that. So that was the problem with FID. Did that make sense before I move on to interaction next pane? Yeah, I was thinking of this stuff, it's like whenever someone explains, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. This is the problem with performance. It's unless it's somebody's job, there isn't always somebody, it becomes like the tragedy of the commons. You have to sit there and be constantly thinking about it from a performance angle sometimes. It's like any other kind of optimization. And it can be very easy to forget or accidentally introduce something that sets it back. So interaction to next page. To be frank, I haven't spent much time actually optimizing for INP because it was a new metric. And I knew they'd give us a lot of time. Yeah, so how long has it been around you now? Yeah, it's been around for about a year. Maybe a little bit more than that. They started talking about it in maybe 18 months ago. I should go and double check. Certainly about a year ago, they started talking about it. And was your sense that when they were talking about it, that it was going to replace this? Or was it more, here's a new thing, or you see how it goes and then decide? Both. So when they first started talking about it, they it was very clear. Like, this is a potential candidate. Like, anybody who could read between the tea leaves, they're floating this as a potential candidate metric. And I think very shortly after they first mentioned it, they're like, we're considering it as a candidate metric. So they started including it in results in like Lighthouse and PageSpeed Insights, I believe before this announcement. So it just, evidence just kept building and building before they finally said it's going to be a candidate metric. They put it in lots of different tools. They added it to the Web Vitals library. The signs were all there. And anytime they talk about a metric, it's, oh yeah, this is what they're thinking will improve. There is a possible change to Core Web Vitals. I mean, to as 
another example is cumulative layout shift. I was one of the folks that was critical of the original specification for cumulative layout shift because the way they tracked cumulative layout shift was it measured how many layout shifts happen across the entire lifetime of the page. So if you're a single page application where it's a very long lived life cycle for that single page and you have maybe a small layout shift every couple interactions, you're going to get penalized more than a website where a user has maybe the equivalent or more layout shifts in their whole session. But because they broke it up across separate page boundaries, it actually appeared to be lower cumulative layout shift. Even though the single page app from a layout shift perspective probably was a better experience. And we weren't the only ones complaining about this. And the team, the Google Chrome team was very receptive. And then they floated a change. They went through a very develop and public process where they said, here's how we're proposing to fix it. They actually laid out three or four different proposals and then asked people for feedback, which are the modifications that people most liked. So they were doing the same thing with INP. They're, this is really big financial ramifications, as we talked about earlier. So they're being very careful with at least the performance community and being like, here are the changes we expect to have that are coming uh, before they make it official. And I applaud them for doing that. It's really involving the community in a way, at least for those who are really paying attention to it. So yes, that's my long answer to the question. They both telegraphed it and then officially were very clear and said, hey, this is now going to be likely to be a candidate metric. And the way INP works is rather than just looking at the first input, they look at all the inputs across the life cycle of the page. And then they'll take, depending on the length of the session, they'll take the a percentile approach, something like we'll take the 98th or 99th largest percentile of the largest interaction. So they'll throw out the outliers if the session is long enough. And they measure the full time of the first input delay, as far as I understood, just simply looked at how long the handler ran. But interaction to next pane, the name says interaction to next pane. So it's from the time the user interacted with the page till the time the paint happens. And that's really important. And to simplify it, in a browser, when you when you click on it, there's a couple things that happen. First, the JavaScript runs. So that's the handler. And that JavaScript is going to make some DOM changes, say, or some other changes. And it's basically asking the browser to do it. But the browser then has to go through a render and paint cycle to actually make those changes happen on the screen. And IMP measures all the way through that full life cycle. So if your handler is really short, but actually asks for something that was really aggressive, then you'll get penalized. Vice versa, if you run for a long time, and, but it's a small DOM change, you still also get penalized. So it's everything's getting measured in your interaction. So you really need to think holistically end-to-end the work you're doing to when it gets painted. So I think that's improvement. And I highly recommend the Google I.O. talk. I think you linked to it in the newsletter on how to optimize web responsiveness with interaction to next paint, because I think it was a really good example. They decided to not use vanilla JS and they decided to use React. And they used a very simple autocomplete example where as you're typing, how long does it take for something to appear? And what are the right way to solve it? And he worked through a bunch of examples and using suspense and then debouncing and then actually aborting the autocomplete in order to properly not take up too much time when users are interacting. So as you're typing into the autocomplete, 
being sure those search results update responsively, but it, you're not waiting for the autocomplete results to show before you actually update the keyboard input to show the text field that you're searching in so that the autocomplete doesn't feel like clunky. It's a really, I'm not really giving it justice, I think, but it's a really good concrete example of, especially for folks using React on how to think about IMP. So let me pause. I've been talking for a while. See what, if that makes sense. Oh, we've got Henri here. Yeah, I was going to say, if Henri wanted oh, to come, yeah, that would Henri. be great. I'm, trying to, I'm grabbing the link to the video per- and posting per- it. Yeah. yeah. Performance lover. Yeah, exactly. Hello, performance I mean, he lover. just spoke at, <laughs> you guys just saw him at Remix, I think, speaking on performance. Yeah. I would love to get his thoughts on INP. He might be on the web version, in which case he can't come up. But Henri, feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up to the stage. I'd I'd be curious to get your take as somebody also in this space. That definitely caught my eye in the newsletter also before because it's performance is my original background. And they had telegraphed that this was coming. In fact, one of my coworkers said, INP is now officially a metric. And I'm like, oh, really? I thought they were going to... And I was like, I expected them to wait to Google I.O. to announce it. And he's like, Google I.O. is today. And I'm like, oh, man, I was so focused on what we were doing with Remix. I totally, I had somehow thought it was like a week later. So this wasn't, I don't think, that big of a surprise that they did this. But it was, it's certainly, I think, a good thing coming. Did you hear other other news from Google I.O. at all? I think there was the broad headline news, obviously, about how... They're, what they're doing with AI, that took up the beginning of the keynote. I haven't yet, as I mentioned earlier, gone through the developer keynote or all the web talks. There's a really good one they have. It's like web wrap-up. And she goes through all their announcements that they had for the web. And I saw there was stuff, Angular adopting signals and a few others. But obviously the performance one caught most of my attention. I'm actually pulling up the page right now and then going and I'm filtering on web to see what else jumps out. Yeah, there's the rethinking reactivity with signals. There's another talk on optimizing core of vitals, the nine most effective core of vitals optimizations for 2023. There's a talk on advanced APIs that I have meaning to watch, but I haven't yet watched about Project Fugu and better access to hardware. It's always great and interesting to see people really extending the web platform. The thing that might get buried, but I think is really huge, and it will sneak up on all of us if you're not paying attention to it, though. And they mention this in the wrap-up, and they mention it in some talks that I have not yet watched. There's one like preparing for the end of third-party cookies. The privacy moves that they're doing, like ending support for third-party cookies, like that is on the horizon. And if you're like an old curmudgeon developer, you may not realize that that trend is coming and is happening sooner than you might think. They're deprecating some of the information you used to get out of the user agent. All sorts of data like that is, it seems like the trend is on its way out. And so that's definitely something to pay attention to. And it's like a feature going away. And I think old time developers might get caught off guard. And if your app depends on these, whether it's for A-B testing or retargeting or things like that, you may not even realize it, honestly, depending on the tools and products you use, especially in the Jamstack where we'll stitch tools together. And obviously your vendors are going to be on top of this because it's critical to them working. But I think that's one that'll sneak up on people and also still remains to be seen how it gets fleshed out because the attempts like Fledge and Flock 
have stalled as alternatives to cookies, and it's not clear what's on the horizon there. They fledge and flop. Yes. So th- what? Yeah. So this was an attempt to replace cookies with AI-generated cohorts, where they would. So right, as an advertiser, you don't want everyone's data, right? As a third-party advert, like you want. Say, I'm trying to get you to buy. I don't know socks socks with whimsical marvel superheroes avengers on them so i want like people who are interested in comic books and happen to watch those movies or searched for iron man cosplay outfit like we were talking about earlier but i don't need to know everything else they searched so if you could just give me the cohort that represents that in theory i should i'd be happier you can't predict what all those cohorts are now i don't know the full details of how fledge and flock worked but it was this idea that the browser would federate, it's called federated learning of cohorts, would actually figure out what these cohorts are. And you could target the cohorts as a proxy for targeting the users directly based on their data. But, and I might be not doing this justice and mixing things up, but basically I think a lot of advertising platforms felt like it gave too much power to the browser and cut a lot of players out of the industry and so it stalled. And so it still remains to be seen what the the right solution is. So it's in some ways really scary. There's a attempt to get more privacy, which makes sense. But like, how do we still keep the economy of the internet going and what the alternative is? I don't think it's fully arrived yet. And so it's going to be an interesting, scary new world in some sense. Uh, I mean, I think the further we get away from the internet being funded by companies mining highly specific personal data to sell us things, the more we can get away from that, the better personal. I think that is still going to be hard because subscription models, I think, can work for a lot of things, not necessarily all things. So I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. So I, I like the idea of privacy. I like you being able to control your privacy. Where I'll disagree is I think there is value there. And it sounds bad when you're like mining everything we do highly personal. But like when you there's value there, but it needs to be opt-in. It needs like to be opt-in. And there needs to be an alternative if you don't want to. Yes, do that. exactly. But discovery and automation, like how do you find out about things that would be useful to you, whether they're services to buy or my favorite example is like Alexa. By searching for well, it. Well, I'll give you an example. So my favorite example is Alexa. There's a huge amount of potential in these assistants, especially now with you know the powers of large language models. But what I really want is a future where I'm like talking to my spouse and I'm like, oh, we're out of paper towels. And I don't have to say that, hey, Alexa, add paper towels to the groceries list. It'll just say the next this time is I possible, go, yeah. but you need to run the model on your own personal data that's siloed on your machine. Yes, and that's exactly. That's going to be exactly. hard. We, they need to be done in a privacy preserving way. Apple, I think, was really out ahead on this about how we can do privacy preserving. So let me just, so I guess I'm, my point is, I think we're aligned here. We just express it differently. It needs to be opt-in. It's a yeah. question of how is it going to even be possible to do it on your own machine and have that be available? Because most of the companies that are making all this profit off of user data, they don't want to make it possible for you to do it on your own machine and keep your data private. I don't know if I would ascribe that intent. I think it varies by company and... like. There's certain advertisers. It does, yes. Who, who, so who Google just, doesn't yeah, want exactly. to do but Google does. Uh, they do on behalf of the large audience of people, of advertisers they need to advertise to, who each individually does not 
think they're going for that niche of a thing. But if you're like trying to find people who want a, you know, Iron Man cosplay outfit, right? I don't know if Flock will come up with that. It may not be like, think of how much the ability to find your small cohort of people who are similar to you on the internet that wasn't possible in the past because we didn't have, it's a flip side, it's a double-edged sword. We've got greater fragmentation now, but it also means people can find each other who are who have similar interests. We're way off JavaScript topic, but we can, <laughs> the point is the trend is definitely towards greater privacy and we need, and it's not clear what what's going to replace that. And so that could catch up on, on people. The other thing that I was going to say that, I thought was an interesting development is they have this new thing that they came out called baseline. And as a web developer, it's basically the list of it's like that. Can I use, but it's like, they, they short circuit it for you and just be like, okay, yes, here are the things you can rely on because they're in most of the browsers. They've done that. They've done the work you do when you go to, can I use and be like, okay, can I use this? Which of the browsers that support it? Do these ones matter or not? It's just the baseline. These are the, and it's a signal you can use as a developer, like when you can reliably start using it. And hopefully I think it will help justify when folks can use new APIs or not. There's a lot of these that are in browsers and people don't realize. One which I expected more talk about was Web Push, because Web Push is now in iOS. And I don't think I saw anything about that, but it's another example of a web API, advanced API that, you know, now is more cross-platform than people realize. So those are the ones that jumped out at me. I'm actually scrolling through it right now, see if there's anything else. Passkeys also got a lot of attention, but that was it. I don't know if there's anything else if you're looking at the program right now that jumps out at you. The So the other thing I highlighted in the newsletter was more performance debugging tools oh, for yes. the Chrome. The, there's like an extension they have. I've never used this extension, so I don't really have a ton of context on this, but it seemed like it was a big deal. I have not used it yet, but yeah, the, and this is something I should have talked about earlier. If you were trying to debug things like interaction to next paint in the past, like lighthouse only measured, for example, first load and slowly over the year, this is another over the last 24 months they've been, and I was critical of, of this for years that people focused on lighthouse and only first load. They've been basically not only enhancing the performance tooling, but they've actually started making it better at diagnosing problems in performance during the life cycle of the whole page and not just on first load and things that happen later. So you can now automate a script and have Lighthouse say, okay, during this part of the session when the user does this, and you can test against that. And so I just say in general, they keep improving the tooling to handle these new metrics. And that's really useful. There was the React visualizer as well that you had in the newsletter that I thought was really cool and I wanted to try out. I thought that was really interesting, especially for React developers. I know when I was first getting into React, just like when your code actually runs in the lifecycle, this is like, it does all the console lock statements for you, which was which is really useful. Yeah, that one was cool. It, for people who haven't seen it, it basically helps you trace through how your render rendering is happening in react so when you have components they'll mount and they'll render and then like they'll do this kind of whole dance it's the react life cycle and so this is a library that basically creates like a ui that shows you each step it goes through 
Yeah, this is something that confused the crap out of me when I was a boot camp student and learning about React, because especially because it used to be more explicit back when you were writing class components. You'd have like component did mount and all that kind of stuff. And now I feel like the life cycle kind of happens underneath and people learn like how to use the hooks and then may not necessarily think about it or even know that's happening. But then when they hit edge cases and weird bugs come up, then they're like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, I think they they take it for granted that they don't realize things are happening. And it's not until you get really deep that you trip over it. I think it's more useful now than ever with hooks because I feel like hooks sometimes obscure these things. A great example, actually, is this talk that you linked to that we mentioned, Interaction to Next Paint, optimizing it. He goes through and one of the things he does is he has a hook. And the hook, he's trying to debug, he's playing the part of a developer and he's going through and it's an autocomplete. And he's tried to fix everything. And what's actually happening is the reason his interaction to next pane is so poor is because when you clicked the third character, the handler for the second character was still running. And that's what was delaying you. So you might think, oh, why when I hit the third character, is it still taking so long? It's because the second character, you queued that work up and only now did it come and hit you. And I think this is exactly that correlation. Hooks, I have to say, do tend to hide that type of complexity and you don't if you don't have a strong mental model of when they run, and look, I've even been there where it's like, I have to do console.log, figure out when something is running. So this is a great, it's a great, I think it's going to help people in debugging and getting their hands on React. I think it should be part of every beginner course to illustrate how to use hooks. Cool. But I included it. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. Thank y'all so much for the amazing conversation. Thank y'all for listening to the audience. We'd love it when y'all join us for our JavaScript Jam Live on Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, as always. So don't forget to join us for next week. We're going to be having, hopefully, I believe, a speaker from Render ATL. And we'll definitely be having the following week. We'll be at Render ATL. What's up, Alexis? I see the heart there. I thought Alexis is going to render as well. So that'll be cool. If y'all are going, yeah, so excited for that. It's always an amazing time. So, yes, don't forget to get your ticket to Render ATL if you haven't. There's going to be about 2,000 other web developers and just, well, developers in general out there. So, yeah, don't want to miss that out on the Actually, real quick, opportunity. Monica just hopped in. She's one of the speakers who will be there. Oh, hey, Monica, what's up? So excited. We were just actually talking for about 30 minutes or so in the beginning about Render ATL and the topics at hand. Yeah, if you want to come up and share a bit, feel free. We'd love to hear from you. We can click. And don't worry. We did like, it. We got a Render guest. Super At casual. Last minute. <laughs> last second here. Monica, welcome. What's Thank up? you, Render. So I'm excited to meet everyone and also be there as speaker. That's so cool. So what are you going to be talking about? What, yeah, exactly. yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I'm talking about creative coding. So kind of a little bit different than what I do in my day to day. So I focus on like just a bunch of like React, but I want to have fun at and talk about how you can build stuff with code that's like more for fun or for whatever just not like specifically like i have to build something useful or whatnot very cool so what like generating like more like artwork kind of stuff yes so using like p5.js and canvas apis to create art 
Super sweet. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And uh, yeah, like, what, kind of, what was that library you said? Uh, so there's P5JS. It's part of the Processing Foundation. So Processing, they have Processing, which is Java-based. And then there's P5JS, which is a JavaScript version of like the Processing Library. And they have some other versions as well. But it's just a, like a like visual API to quickly get up and running with putting things into a canvas. And then they also have some extensions where you can play around with audio API or like webcam input and stuff like that. Very cool. And you spoke at RemixConf as well. Did you want, was that a similar talk? Did you do a different talk? Uh, so at RemixConf, I did a different talk. So I was talking about MDX and how you can use MDX to make your markdown content more accessible. So MDX is a way where you can write or imp- React components into markdown. It's super helpful for documentation if you want to have like interactive examples for folks. And if you all are familiar with the new React docs. They use a lot of MDX on there for the interactive like play- playgrounds and different checkpoints on within the documentation to gauge like understanding and help reinforce concepts. So I did a talk about like how you can use that in Remix and a little bit more about the whole MDX ecosystem. And like, if you wanted to create custom plugins to transform your MDX content into a different format or whatnot, just like kind of diving into that. I feel like there's a lot that goes into MDX. Definitely something I want to talk about more in the future. And I spoke at like the first MDX comp. So I've been using it for a little while. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, I was at Remix Comp. I didn't catch a lot of the talks, but I'm going to watch the recording for this one because I avoided MDX for a long time. And partly just because I found it really hard to configure and when I was using it until Astro's MDX integration I found like really nice and that's what I'm using now for my blog so I don't really bring in React components too much basically I'm just for the most part writing straight markdown but all of my blog is written with MDX files and I'm always big on trying to make my stuff as accessible as possible so this is a really relevant topic to me. Very cool yeah I feel like I was looking into, there's a lot of like tools within the MDX ecosystem, but like in terms of like models of how to put everything together, I think there's definitely like some lacking. And I used to use like MDX slides and it seems like now like there's no version that's super well maintained. So that's something I might look into once I have some more time. But I don't think MDX fly. I think there's like MDX deck and then there was like a Next.js version of MDX deck. So you can create a presentation with MDX. Um, but the versions I saw and that I used to use, they don't seem to be like very maintained. Like they're a few versions behind in terms of like Next and Node and all these things. So not super good. Yeah, um, exactly. That's why, that's one of the reasons why I would avoid stuff like MDX. Yeah. It's just a huge kind of mess. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping it gets easier for folks because it is like a great tool, but I definitely can understand where you're coming from in terms of the ecosystem. It's a little bit of have to get your hands dirty to find to get a like a good solution going totally yeah that is true to a certain extent just for markdown at all markdown is like the ultimate created through evolution of many people over many years and many different forms and many different libraries i find markdown just a fascinating thing was there anything else you were excited about for render is that for me specifically? Sorry, or sorry, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you only guessed up here right now, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think I'm just like super excited about all of the different speakers who are going to be there in terms of there's a lot of folks who I haven't had the opportunity to, to hear them speak. And obviously, I'm not going to be able to hear everyone speak because there's a lot of speakers at, at Render. But I'm excited to have that opportunity and also just the opportunity to connect with the larger tech community because every year I'm like, I see Render is happening and it seems like this like super awesome event oh, yeah. that brings together people from all different parts of tech. So I am like super excited about that and can't remember the last time I went to ATL. So also just like excited to, to go someplace I haven't been in a while. But yeah, it seems super exciting. I can't believe it's almost like it's only two weeks away. So it's right around the corner. <laughs> it's coming quick for sure. I'm excited for it too. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Holy cow. Oh man, it's popping. I went last year and yeah, you, you got something to be looking forward to and excited about. That's for sure. <laughs> there is never a dull moment at Render ATL. <laughs> I promise. It's good. The food, the events, after events, the after events, <laughs> the everything. It's good. The drip is all good. Like, for real. Oh, man, I can't wait. Yes, 100 is right, for sure. Monica, by the way, and I think just kind of throw this out there to the audience as well, if you haven't heard this before, but <clears throat> we will be there, JavaScript Jam, Anthony and I, we will be there. We'll be around mingling with everybody. So feel free to come say hi to us. And we're going to be doing a live Twitter space while we're there, just like this, right? It'll be on Wednesday. So that's actually workshop day. So there will be more, there will be speakers there. And then I feel like there'll be a lot more availability to join us during our JavaScript Jam live on Wednesday, the 31st, I believe it is. Monica, we would love to have you if you're wanting to entertain that. I know we're going to be having James Q. Quick on with us on the 31st as well while we're there live at the event. So just to give some input on what's been happening at the event so far and what you're enjoying and just the scenery, everything kind of bringing people, bringing the event to people through spaces. Would love to have you, Monica, join us if you want to. It'd be 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So what is that, like 3 Eastern while we're there? So yeah, that'll be cool. Okay, yeah, no, I'll definitely be in touch and let you know, because I know I'm traveling that day, so I may be oh, not in a good spot to Word. hop into the space, but I definitely <laughs> will be interested if I'm stationary. Understood. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And we're excited for your uh, your talk. So that'll be really cool. Everybody, if you're going to Render ATL, check out Monica and her talk. Let's see. I'm looking at the schedule, but you probably know off the top of your head. Or maybe you don't, but <laughs> do you know when you're giving your talk? What day? Sometimes. The, what's the first day? Thursday? Yeah, on the first. Yeah. Yeah. So on that first day, I think in that sometime in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, in the afternoons, if you go to the Jumbotron here in the spaces, that's what we call it, the Jumbotron. If you scroll up and then scroll to the right, you can see all the different posts we got up there. You can see, or to the left, maybe in your case, if you haven't seen them all, renderatl.com forward slash speaker topics. If you click on that, that'll take you to all the speakers, their topics, and all that good stuff. So you can kind of see like the schedule-ish, I believe, that is highlighted in that. Be sure to check it out. And Take a note of the ones you want to check out, including Monica, of course. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, we can probably close that unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about, Monica, or places you want to point our listeners to to find more of your stuff. Yeah, please. Where can they find you, Monica? They click your Twitter face and follow you right now. 
Yeah. Well, there you oh, go. Sorry, I got stuck like clicking on that the the speaker topics link. Yeah, you can find me like here on Twitter, uh, my website, monica.dev. Uh, I'm on Blue Sky at monica.dev. Is That's all about Blue Sky. The best places to find me. And then if you want to see like my GitHub or anything, that's on link to on my website on links.monica.dev. I do have a link to like my MDX talk as well as the like actual like remix MDX like demo site if folks are interested in learning a little bit more about MDX. And then I think also on links.monica.dev, I have a an example of a Blue Sky P5JS bot that I created. So if folks are on Blue Sky or like interested in like just getting a, like a sneak peek of P5, that's something that I have linked to on my on my site. Okay, cool, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Monica you. Monica has a, a lot of value out there for all y'all. So be sure to follow her. Obviously, right? <laughs> yeah, check out her talk from Remix as well, which is linked in her step. So. Be sure to do that. Um, yeah, if you got value from anybody up here on stage today, feel free to click on their face, click follow, because if you got value from them here, you're going to get value from them in other places. This is how it works, y'all. Obviously, JavaScript Jam would love your follow, too, if you want to. We have these talks every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join us next week. We're going to have, hopefully, a speaker from Render ATL with us. And then the week following, like I said before, we're going to be at Render. So if you're not there, you're squared. But hey, you know what? You're going to be there, aren't you? Yeah. Get your ticket. It's going to be fun. We love y'all. Thank you so much for everybody here. Appreciate you. We'll see you in the next one. On the next one. Thank y'all. Love you guys.